Hello and welcome to The Rabbit Hole, the Definitive Developers Podcast. Living large in New York. I'm your host, Michael Nunez, our co-host today. Dave Anderson. And today we'll be talking about international boot camps. Oh, how exotic. Why? (laughs) I mean, you got to get that jab. You get your vaccine Uh and then Uh you run away from wherever you are and you learn coding. There you go. You learn coding. You run away. You learn coding. I think the the safest place right now is probably South Korea. They got it down packed on this COVID thing for some time. And we have a special guest from South Korea. We have Alex Oh in the building. How's it going, Alex? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Come on down to South Korea. Learn some coding. Go back home. Make lots of money. What could go wrong? Yeah. What could go wrong? Spring break, (laughs) y'all. Alex, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, well, I mean, I run a boot camp here in Korea. A little bit about my background, I'd say I've, I've been programming as a kid. So I didn't actually go through the whole boot camp experience, but I've gone through teaching through large companies while I was after, right after college. I did that for a couple of years. So that kind of gave me my first exposure to the mechanics of the classroom and how to teach and all that. And then I did consulting for almost 15, 20 years. And then started this boot camp here, putting together everything I learned in the past, both experience in the workplace as well as my previous experience teaching. And this is my kind of way of trying to foster and give back to the programming community, especially here in Korea, and knock out some awesome programmers. Awesome. Sounds like the world was your boot camp, Alex. <laughs> that's that's very well. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah, because I mean, I've worked actually in the U.S. as well as Europe. And so it's given me some interesting exposures to the way that different companies view programmers as well as programming in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's interesting, like, listening to your story, like, just thinking about, like, how many different paths there are to learning coding. You said you started with, like, teaching yourself to code, like, just be it was a passion. Yeah. I imagine you also, like, went to college for programming like Mike here as well. Actually, it did not. My graduate degree was in oil painting. So it's a little bit odd, I guess I would say. (laughs) (laughs) But growing up, computers has always been something that I've been interested in. I mean, I absolutely love that, though. I love all of the people that I work with that have non-traditional backgrounds. And I love working with Mike as well. Yeah, I mean, I have a question about the oil painting. So, like, did you did you like draw like a semicolon and was like, "This is it. I need to learn how to do the ways of the semicolon." And started programming that way. Like, how did that transfer from that of a different study to programming? Like, what made you click there to do that professionally? Because you said you did it as a kid, right? Like, you had some interest in it. Went to school for. Is it modern art and oil painting? Like, what's the term for that? But then how did you go back into programming from there? Yeah, so starting out as a kid, I tend to be a pretty logical kid. I grew up in a typical, quote unquote, Asian family where my parents were pushing me to be either a lawyer or a doctor, more likely a doctor since my father was a doctor. So STEM was really something that was kind of drilled into me early on. I mean, this is going to be your future. Right. It's just like permeating. Yeah. You can't escape it. Mm Mm-hmm. At the same time, there was you know parts of the extended family who were into the arts as well, and so I was kind of trapped between the two of them. Mm. And <laughs> some what tension made me go towards art as education was kind of a, more of a product of the circumstance. So while I was in college, I had that ability to actually escape from my supposed destiny as a physician by 
the fact that I was completely bored and hated <laughs> studying biology day in and day out. And mm. I actually yeah. finally had a conversation with my dad to just you know, ascertain, <laughs> is this my future? I mean, is this worth it? Like, tell me, you know, am I doing the right thing? And he could tell just by me asking that, yeah, maybe this is not the right thing for you. And at the same time, he's gone through some struggles in the industry itself as an occupation, yeah. dealing with things like the insurance companies and dealing with the uh, administration of the hospital. And he's like, I've definitely heard it said that, like, if it is not your first choice, then you should not be a doctor because it's like such a big investment. All right. But like, I, I'm also listening to your story and like hearing an echo of my own story where my father was a computer scientist and I rebelled against computer science by being like, no, I'm not going to be a computer engineer. I'm going to be a mechanical engineer. So I studied that <laughs> and then I like I loved it. And then I'm like. The whole time I like really loved computers secretly, so then I found my way back to computers. It's very like kind of circuitous. Did your father say I told you so? <laughs> my dad ran a tires and rims, like he sold the rims and tires. That was his business. And I was like, I like computers. Punching keys is what I want to get paid to do. And that's why I went to college uh, for that. And I think like my so, son, the rims. Yeah. No, no, he didn't. He didn't. He's like, you do the computers. You're a smart guy. You go into the computers. I'll sell the rims and tires around here. You be better. And that's, I, I mean, I wouldn't say selling is an art form in itself. And my dad can definitely sell salt to a slug. He can sell ice to an Alaskan. He is amazing at his craft of selling, but. I went to school for programming, traditional college, you know, your computer science class and your complicated calculus and your big old notation <laughs> theories and stuff like that. And it's very, very different from boot camps that may take a different approach to things. Because I mean, like, even like when you finish college, like you may find yourself being like, well, I don't know how to pay our program. I don't know how to like deliver value or identify like what the most important thing is to work on. And like, I think there's like a lot of value and I've, I've heard stories of people like doing college and then also a boot camp. And I kind of did that. I kind of did that. Like the thing I, I did was like not so much a boot camp, but like very similar in the same vein. Like I did a recurse center stint for a couple months and studied programming along with people, other people who are passionate about it. Okay. Yeah. And you know, I think, well, while I was in college, I mean, I'm old. Well, maybe figuratively, but I was in college in the early 90s. And at that point, the college that I went to, they focused a little bit more on the theoretical side of programming. So it was a lot of mathematical matrices, a lot of just more number, number crunching, but almost acting as a support team for the physics department or the math department where we're just taking what they give us and then applying what they had given us, which isn't what I really wanted to do. At that point, I knew that there was this new thing coming along. I was playing with Gopher. I was playing with, there's a lot of Unix tools for chatting and for communicating with other people around the world. This is before the web. And I felt like, oh, this is, you know, this is the stuff I want to be doing. This is really cool. So sitting around trying to figure out how to dot product thousands by thousand matrices wasn't really something I wanted to do. <laughs> it's just a bunch of nerd shit. Right. Yeah. All that they're nerd like, stuff. They're like, I got to do my, I got to do my batch reports for the payroll, like yeah. using a matrix. 
but like i mean i I think that's interesting because like it's it's something that like computer science or like software engineering or building software has evolved a bit from then when now it's like as much about the people when you're doing it right as it is about like the matrices which are very rarely uh showcased in my react code or in my apis yeah i'm really happy that a lot of the curriculums have kind of caught up i guess with the professional world of course i don't and i don't think anybody should expect education to necessarily or academia to equal the professional world i mean it still needs to be couched in fundamentals but at the same time when you graduate with a cs degree you expect to be relevant and hope that you know you can find you a job and that's kind of what the the gap that the boot camps try to fill is try to get some of your skills and to include them if you haven't gone through the computer science education background, but to find that gap between what you can learn either on your own or through the CS degree, what the professional world is really looking for. Totally. And Alex, you've been in the space for some time. What has changed within the past five, 10 years in that of the boot camps and your boot camp in particular? What have you seen and then had to make these changes so that your students are successful in getting a job after they complete the boot camp? Well, that's an interesting question because I think there's the business side of things that we've changed just based on the competition with other boot camps and the boot camp area in general. And then there's the stuff that we've changed in our curriculum for the students to make it more relevant for the job market. So speaking on those two, I think for the one of the largest changes, I think for the industry itself, of course, COVID had a huge impact, especially with a boot camp like ours, which is offline, where we try to get people to work in teams. Mm-hmm. And then also for uh, there's a lot of been a lot of consolidation I noticed, especially in the U.S. for boot camps, where a lot of the larger boot camps have started buying up and swallowing some of the smaller ones and consolidating their curriculum. So it's very much feels a lot more cookie cutter than it used to be. Now on the job end of the, or on the actual curriculum end of things where the students are exposed to, I think one of the things that I didn't like as much in the beginnings of the boot camp idea, and I understand why it was the way it was, but I could still not like it. It was just the way that they would follow fads. And unfortunately, fads, you know, as quickly as they change, doesn't make for really good job seeking material. A lot of really good, steady, and stable jobs. Yeah, you got to get that like React Redux on the resume. And then, you know, they come out with hooks. And then you're like, (laughs) no, I can't get a job now. I'm done. Finish. And then you have people teaching things like handlebars and where's that now? And oh, yeah. Mustache JS. People teaching jQuery mustache. and where's that now? Oh. <laughs> jQuery is oh. still there. It's it's right behind you, Alex. It's waiting <laughs> it in the shadows. It never goes away, right? It's that, guy. <laughs> it's that creepy guy who keeps following you. <laughs> Go away, jQuery. <laughs> Go away. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you no, know, you can't escape jQuery. It's still there. <laughs> I was just reading a blog post about accessibility in the web uh-huh. and like <laughs> and the the key code examples were in jQuery and I was like there you are <laughs> that's a, that's where you are that's right still you know part of a lot of frameworks so every time you think you've gotten away it just sucks you right back in man 
right. every time you you know you think you've gotten rid of it and all of a sudden a dollar sign pops up in your javascript code and you're like oh no that can't be <laughs> it has nothing to do with money that's the worst part it's just like just you will not get paid for that dollar you sign would not get paid you would not get paid there's no money involved it's just jQuery being creepy go away <laughs> So I know this happens in the United States. It's like, you know, a lot of employers do what I guess is called like gatekeeping, where in their job description, they may ask specifically for a CS degree or like some kind of college degree. I'm curious if you have any advice for employers who are considering recruits from boot camps, or is there anything you would like to say to individuals who believe in this kind of gatekeeping tactic to ensure that they get those college degree individuals? Are employers missing out because they're having this gatekeeping in place? And do you have anything you want to say to them? I'm just curious, like, what are your thoughts? As someone who runs a boot camp, I want to know your thoughts on that particular topic. So towards the employers, I would say it's good to dream, but keep it real, man, because, you know, a lot of the stuff they put on their like wanted lists, it's, <laughs> it's a dream. I mean, they'll tell me like, oh, we want someone with 10 years of React experience. I'm like, man, it's not been around for that long. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I can kind of understand where they're coming from. I mean, yeah. they're written by people who probably don't have a tech background. They're written with a large company. They're probably written by the HR department. Someone who's just like, hopefully got some guidance as to what to put on the sheet of paper by whatever team that they're going to be working with. But sometimes they don't. I've worked in large consulting companies and whatnot. So I've seen these companies just struggle with hiring. But yeah, just to keep it real, try mm -hmm. to get, try to couch your expectations in reality and not this like dream <laughs> person, this unicorn that doesn't actually exist. For the job seekers, I would say, keep that in mind is that when you have a dating profile and you're like, ooh, I want moonlit walks along the beach and the guy's got to be tall with dark hair and all this great stuff and you're like pina coladas <laughs> yeah with coladas but then you know you'll come along with something that's maybe a little bit orthogonal maybe you're not tall but you're funny and you'll get the date and so and you love margaritas <laughs> <laughs> i love margaritas you know what's not to like <laughs> Yeah, it's beachy enough. Yeah, exactly. But uh, <laughs> keep your options open. It's kind of like a dating profile in terms of what they're looking for. So if you know if you could fit maybe 60, 70% of what they're looking for in a meaningful way, apply. Absolutely apply. I think especially when I'm doing hiring and I've done hiring in the past two decades, it's been more about the personality of the person and the ability of the person to learn that's more important than what can they do right now. And so... You have a lot of really smart, really talented, really ambitious people looking for jobs who are selling themselves short. Do you like have any advice for like any listeners who are considering boot camps to break into the industry? Yeah, I think, well, I mean, it's hard for me to maybe say specifically without going into our own like spiel of like, wow, well, this is why W coding is awesome. But <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to go in because it's so expensive no matter really where you go, you have to go in with a goal in mind. And it's got to be, again, a kind of a realistic goal. You not necessarily can't go in thinking, at the end of this, someone's going to hand me a job. <laughs> Even though there's boot camps that promise you 98%, 99% placement rate, you got to kind of wonder where exactly are they placing you at that kind of rate? And do you actually have a chance? Right. Or... 
I also know like places in, in, that I've heard of with such high placement rates where they will exclude you from the program and from the statistics if you do not like comply to like certain very strict engagement metrics where like you really gotta work at it in order to stay in that net that gets placed which is a pro and a con yeah absolutely and you know if you think of like the traditional institutions like harvard or yale i mean there's a reason why those graduates do so well and it's not because of what they learned at yale it's probably because they came in as really smart students and they were very selective in terms of what kind of students they would pick and so yeah you're going to do well. And I think a lot of the boot camps or some of the boot camps kind of follow that same idea of, oh, in order for me to get this 99% placement rate, I have to make sure that the people that we bring into the boot camp are going to get hired. Mm-hmm. And so they end up hiring people who may not have actually needed the boot camp, I would say, who may have been able to be self-taught and into the workforce versus, you know, those people who really needed the education, really needed a hand and needed help, but are excluded because they can't pass that pretest and have a risk of not finding a job at the end and tarnishing their 99%. <laughs> Let's dive in really quick to W Coding, right? That's the name of the coding boot camp that you run. Why did you start W Coding? What was the calling that made you want to go and teach everyone how to do the coding? Ah, uh, yeah. So it's actually, I was in Korea for not really this purpose. I actually came here because I had an opportunity to stay here for for a while with housing that was given, provided for me. It actually ended up not turning out, but it started that whole process of me coming to Korea. And I came anyway, had some fun, ran an unsuccessful restaurant for about a year for my uncle. That was an interesting experience in terms of business and failures, but I learned a lot from it, so I'm completely grateful. But during that time, I also got to look at the market and see what it was like here for programmers. And so one of the things I had wanted to do was like, oh, you know, I could probably stay here in Korea. Let's start an independent consultancy here, just like I had done in the States. And so it was then the process of, well, can I find really good skilled workers, you know, really good skilled employees here? And that proved actually to be difficult to find. There's one challenge is, of course, was my language, but the other challenge was that the education and the way they teach programming in Korea is still kind of like 80s and 90s where I was growing up. It was, you know, a bunch of graybeards in front of blackboards, literal blackboards, writing out C code, trying to get these guys interested in programming. And, you know, (laughs) (laughs) this is not the way, right? (laughs) Oh, my God. I took one of those classes. I, yeah. I like sat in a, a college classroom and typed up C code that was printed out and handed <laughs> to me. It was like pretty awful. Like it, I think that made one of the things that turned me off to programming. Actually. Yeah. And so, you know, they promise you like, oh, we get this laptop and it's going to be flashy and you get to work on websites and, you know, make a difference in all these new open source and startup communities. But and then you got this old guy just like scrawling on this blackboard. And that's the unfortunate way it's been taught for the, um, a large part here. And so the people who actually end up going through that program, driven primarily probably by the money, end up being that kind of programmer. And unfortunately, that's not the kind of programmers that I tend to like to work with. So the other then idea was to, all right, let's build the supply chain, start building the programmers that I want to use. Mm-hmm. And so... I guess you could say W Coding started out as a software dev shop 
that had to fall back into a boot camp in order to operate as it wanted to. Interesting. I feel like that's always like kind of a, a tension here as well in the US where you're looking for people to be into programming, but like the field would benefit so much more from a broader involvement of people. It really does take some investment in the human beings in order to like pull more people in. So I, I think that's like pretty exciting that you, you took that chance. Yeah, we're trying to pull in people from various backgrounds, those who've gone through, like I said, programming in the past and those who are extremely new to programming. That in itself, there's a bit of a, a gulf, I guess, to accommodate. But I think practical programming and more specifically, practical programming as a group, as a team, that's something that is still not necessarily addressed, neither by the academics or by the self-taught you know, tutorials and whatnot. What happens as a team when you work on a code base and the dynamics that happen on a, not only on a personality level, but also on the code itself. Verge conflicts happen socially as well as technically. That's a really interesting thing. Like when you're working on like a college project by yourself or like in a really small team, like you might just fire hose stuff in there and you, you don't learn the team dynamic thing. So that's, that's kind of awesome to have some training wheels on kind of experience with that kind of dynamic. Yeah. I think it's a lot more real for the students as well. I mean, I think in the academic environment, um, not to discount it at all, but I think it's, you're doing for a grade. It's And a grade is a, basically, for the most part, a very small audience. It's usually the professor and maybe the TAs are going to end up grading you as to did you do a good job or not. Whereas in the broader sense, once you enter the job market, I think your audience it's a little bit bigger. It's not only your boss, but also the customers for your product. And so it ends up being, for some people, a little bit more stressful, a little bit more, maybe even amorphous in terms of like what it is that you're trying to build and the problems that you're trying to solve. But then your team is also larger and your team is doesn't necessarily have that same background necessarily as you. They're not all with CS backgrounds, with math and whatnot. They have, you know, a lot of various backgrounds that are coming in with. And it makes it a beautiful thing, but it also has its own challenges. Totally. But that can be pretty fun. What would you say it's like doing a boot camp in Seoul? Like, do you have people like traveling from far away in order to be there? Or is it mainly people who are local? Oh, yeah, all the time. Um, in fact, it's part of our the ability to operate as a business is to make sure that we can bring new people to Korea to take our course. The foreign market here is large, but obviously not as large as it's globally. But I think I would say about half of the batches that we have are from abroad. And so we'll pull people from, we've had students from Australia, from the UK, Sweden, Germany. We've had a lot of students in the US, Canada. So primarily the English speaking countries, I would say, because we teach all our programming material in English. And so. If you're looking to travel, Seoul is a great place. It's beautiful. We're still in quarantine, so expect a two-week quarantine period. But awesome place to be. But you, if you like K-pop, oh yeah, <laughs> hey man, this is home. Yeah, <laughs> the K-pop. No, William has told us stories. William has shared a lot of stories with us about his two-week quarantine when he 
traveled from India to South Korea, and boy, that was a epic. That was an odyssey from what I remember. Yeah. yeah. But then, you know, he got out and he just immediately started doing karaoke. So that's wonderful. <laughs> I haven't done karaoke in over a year and it makes my soul very sad. Very, very, very sad. Here they have something called coin norebang or coin karaoke where, you know, the typical karaoke that I was had in the past before I came to Korea was like a group of like, you know, five to ten people would crowd into this smoky room with questionable vinyl seats and start belting it out on this old little microphone. Yep. They have this new thing here where instead of paying like 40 bucks an hour or whatever, 30 bucks an hour or whatever the going rate is, you pay 30 cents per song, but it's just a room for maybe two of you, sometimes four, but it's a much smaller room, but it's super cheap. It's almost like an arcade game at that point. And so that reward, <laughs> as it comes back to you singing these songs, you're like, oh, just another 30 more cents. Let's do this. Yeah. Next thing you know, you spent three hours in there and you're like, huh. I just spent 10 bucks. That's awesome. <laughs> Jamming. <laughs> Jamming. So just, you know, get like two, three of your friends and you can belt it out and they serve drinks in there and everything. It's like, ah, oh, this is, this is where it is, man. We need more of this. When you had said coin karaoke, I thought it would be like a quarter or 30 cents, but then it randomly chooses a song for you. But uh -huh. the fact that you get to choose the song for 30 cents a song is pretty cool, too. <laughs> That's like karaoke on hard mode. That, that yeah, you got to be really, really brave and bold to just hit a random button. Oh, yeah. We were actually, as a as an internal project, we actually had a thing where we do uh, karaoke battles. It was a small project that we had on the app, but you get together with like five people and all five people would enter in maybe like four or five songs each. And then this little app would randomly choose one of the songs and then fire it off to the karaoke machine. So it's kind of like, you know, whoever's next and you hit random. <laughs> and you know, it's songs that somebody knows. But it yeah. might not be you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right. It's like a MOBA or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Alex, how can people find more information about W Coding? Come to our website. You can go to wcoding.com. We also have wcodingcampus, all one word, .com. And that'll take you directly to the boot camp. You can check out all the programs that we have. Come on over to Korea, enroll, and let's get this thing going. Let's get you a job and get you learned. <laughs> awesome yeah and if looking forward i might take the family out there we might go to south korea it seems like it's a dream right now y'all able to do a lot of things i know you mentioned covid it's still a precaution over there but people are interested in coding should go check it out yeah i feel like it's worth it just to save the money on the karaoke <laughs> <laughs> i would save so much money i think i would save actually so much of the, the airport cost the airplane cost to go over there just so that I can get some cheap karaoke. So what is coin karaoke? I'm down. Coin karaoke and coding. Yeah. Let's go. That's awesome. <laughs> coin karaoke, coding, and chicken. Get all oh. everything covered. And ch oh yes, chicken. Yes. <laughs> yeah, now it's it's a wrap. The whole family's going over. That's it. We're going to South Korea, baby. W coding. Yeah, the stuff. So I mean. We've got the boot camp, we've got uh, DevSide, and we also, if you are trying to find a job in Korea, we could give you some advice on like other visa as well as the job situation and the layout here in Korea, depending on what you want to do. Cool. Sounds good. Find out more at wcoding.com or wcodingcampus.com for more information on WCoding. Alex, thank you so much for coming on down. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. It was awesome. 
Follow us now on Twitter at Radio Free Rabbit so we can keep the conversation going. Like what you hear? Give us a five-star review and help developers just like you find their way into the rabbit hole. And never miss an episode. Subscribe now however you listen to your favorite podcast. On behalf of our producer extraordinaire, William Jeffries, and my amazing co-host, Dave Anderson, and me, your host, Michael Nunez, thanks for listening to The Rabbit Hole.